Yeah, here. We're fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get in the Garage. Welcome back. We are. (laughs) Thank you for the for the train whistle, Luke. (laughs) We're back after uh, we took a break last week. Um, uh, Freshen up a little bit. Come back with some garage rock and rigor, and you know, welcome back. So, um, we've just been getting oppressed by the man. We've been working. Yeah, we've been working, working. Not Working on fun. the railroad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> More like working noon to midnight or 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. It's chip case. season, baby. It is chip season. We're, rear, we're, uh, we're, we're revving up into the summertime, so, you know, that's how it goes. Anyway, uh, on to more important things. So we thought that we would open up this episode uh, with a uh, memoriam, is that the right word? Yes, of sir. Earl Simmons, also known as DMX. He passed away last week. And, um, you know, I mean, for me personally, DMX was one of those, like, hardcore rappers that my cousins listened to that I wasn't really allowed to <laughs> listen to. You know, uh, I was in the rotation with, like, The Chronic and... Uh, Life after death, and you know Nas and all that stuff, and uh, and not for nothing. I mean, DMX scared the shit out of me when, <laughs> when I was like when I was a little kid, because it's like it's so aggressive and like it's it's hardcore rap, man. I mean, his first album, uh, it's dark and hell is hot, was not the one that was like the the album that i was the most familiar with initially for me it was uh flesh of my flesh blood of my blood but i mean i think both of those albums for uh you know a 12 year old are terrifying dude i mean <laughs> you, know? you you say it like it's the content how about just looking at the pictures he's literally drenched in blood on his first two albums well yeah and especially flesh of my flesh blood of my blood because he's in it's like a white background and he's in like a bathtub filled with blood and he, i think if i'm not mistaken <laughs> his hands are up like he just killed out. somebody yeah and he's like holding what looks like organs some like a heart or something in either hand it's crazy and it's it's scary but um but yeah unfortunately he passed away he he had uh you know for the for, for the people who know you know he he suffered addiction issues and mental health issues and um april 2nd uh, he was found like unresponsive. He uh, he had a heart attack as a result of a drug overdose, um, yeah. which caused him to um, uh, fall into. I think he fell, fell into like a coma, and yeah. then he eventually passed away from a cerebral uh, hypoxia, which is oxygen deprivation to the brain. Uh, and they tried to resuscitate him. Unfortunately. I think you know there was so much brain damage done. There was literally no more brain activity. Um, and then, you know, I think I, I, if I, if I remember correctly, I think that they decided to take him off of life support, um, simply because of yeah. the fact that, yeah, he, you know, there was no brain activity. Right. So we just wanted to open up with that and just say like a rest in peace to, to DMX because 
you know, he, I think he, he was one of those kinds of guys who had a lot of controversy around him too. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. I'm pretty sure I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but that was an album that I like tricked my mom into buying <laughs> when I was younger. And I was like, no, it's just art. Like I understand. And then like the first opening track, he's talking about like fucking a corpse and stuff. And you're just like, oh my God, like what is <laughs> happening right now? Like this is just but, extremely explicit and not good for a 12, 13 year old child to be listening to. He def- so it got taken away pretty quickly. But- he definitely took that like aggressive, um, like stylistic approach to rap music and really pushed that in the forefront though. And he was like that real aggressive vocal style and imagery like you were talking about. Like, and I think it like kind of like played up into like a different like era of like, that's why he he was what he was and so popular because that style was just so him and he took it on like it's hard to think of like other rap vocals that are equally as aggressive as that on that level like the whole time you know and a lot of his music so I think like stuff like that really like pushed him apart of like people in his era and even maybe like on the forefront of like a more aggressive style coming in like that you know definitely oh for sure for sure definitely like a a legendary artist in like that respect because if you're like even just thinking about like mc you know the way they sound like the way they sound Mm. he doesn't really sound like anybody else even to this day just from the pure you know uh like up up to 11 on all of it so I always thought that it was, you know, definitely cool. Also, for parents not liking it, my dad definitely did not like DMX either. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, must have saw, like, a T- Tucker Carlson report on it. He was upset. <laughs> yeah, I, DMX was very, uh, just highly influential. And he, so his first three albums were all released within a year and a half, period. And uh, those came out when I was uh, 11 and 12 years old uh yeah 10 11 12 years old and those were albums that like, just like you guys i got copies i think my either my brother ordered the like buy one get seven free scam through the columbia bmg <laughs> thing you know where you just like filled it out and you just never you're 10 years old so you're like i'm gonna get paid them when they come to collect uh it's either that or the guys who painted my parents house they left a big cd booklet with like 30 cds in it behind and that was definitely one of them so maybe we had two copies in the house but i remember listening to it and pretty being pretty uh my eyes open being opened to a lot of real life stuff that he experienced and a lot of fantastical things that he talked about too but his uh his lyrics were rooted in a lot of his own battles with his own demons and his real life on the streets and his ups and downs a lot of downs but a lot of hopes for ups and uh his just the way he fused this kind of horror core murderous type of vibe with this like seeking redemption and talking about the lord and it would be like in the same song that made it even like darker and scarier because you're like man this guy is like it always sounded like he was just on the edge of like so uh, on the edge of something you didn't know what might happen like is he gonna try to like pull you in off the streets and like talk some sense to you or is he gonna like rob you at gunpoint like you never knew what vibe he was gonna give you and just vocally like just the the come on and the what like all that stuff is is more expressive than like than so many things out there and um just he was the first artist to debut five straight albums at number one on the billboard uh 200 albums chart so that was 
uh, it's hot and hell. Uh, what is it? It's dark and hell is hot. Flesh of my flesh, blood, yep. my blood. Then there was X, uh, the great, uh, the great depression and grand champ. I, he was the first, I don't know if he's the only one, but debuting five straight albums at number one. And I think he was the first artist to sell a million copies of two different albums in the same year with his first two albums. They were both released in the same calendar year. So like people just ate him up for that basically a six year period where he was very prolific and put out music and um, yeah, he'll be missed. He was, unfortunately he was kind of like the last decade just used in memes. And like, we all heard the Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer rendition he did. And so he was battling his demons more and in and out of jail and prison for the past decade. But um, he's, he, he's always someone that I'm, I'm happy. We have the music that he left behind. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because he, um, he, he, he was a deacon in the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess he had uh, ambition. Like he wanted to become a yeah. pastor. Uh, and he also had like, he gave sermons. Uh, he did like an online Bible study, you know, and, and a good example of that sort of internal conflict you're talking about. It's the last track, which was always my favorite track on Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, uh, called Ready to oh, yeah. And It's interesting because it's, it's this dialogue that he has with God, you know, which is kind of the, the story of like him trying to be like a righteous man, but living in the situation he's living in because he's like pleading with God in that sense where he's like, God says, like, thou shalt not kill. And he's like, but what if he's trying to kill mm-hmm. me? Thou shalt not steal. But what if he stole from me? Like, so it's, you know, you can hear a lot of that kind of that dialogue um, that he kind of had with himself in that sense where, you know, like you said, it's like he's kind of a product of his environment. But you can tell, like, in his heart, he was, like, constantly, like, seeking that sort of redemption and, and you know, that yearning sort of um for his salvation yeah he so, had in, like there's um, interludes on all of his albums that are straight up just prayers like they they're they're rhyming at times but he's just like he's just uh he was just a very powerful communicator of of his ideas yeah so so yeah, a great battle um, rapper like if you look up old tapes old footage of him in his teenage and early 20s years before he broke like he that's what he did for the first 10 years of his rap career was just travel city to city and like destroy the that town's biggest battle rapper. Yeah. So. And his flow was unique too cuz he had like mm. this stop start yeah. kind of thing going. You know what I mean? It was it was very much it was very different from like the Jay-Zs and the Nas's at the time and stuff like that. I mean, I think the only the only rapper that I think sort of sounds like him and I don't even think is up. I don't really think is up to par with him. Would maybe be Ja Rule because Ja Rule has that kind of like scruff. Kind oh, of voice! Vocal, like the qual- sure, the, the voice. voice, the voice. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think yeah. Ja Rule can could hold up to to DMX in any way. But I'm just saying in terms of like the style and the flow and the the tone of voice and stuff. Ja Rule is probably the only one that comes even close to that. But I think DMX was the first one anyway. Yeah, no. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think it was DMX and Jay Z kind of, kind of. I don't want to say like made Ja Rule who he was, but you know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah. Gave him exposure and, uh, and kind of helped Ja Rule establish his, his style and his flow and everything like that. But I think the aggression for sure, like you can't argue that that hyper aggressive way of rapping is that's DMX all day. And like, you can't, he reminds me of like, uh, you know, this we're comparing apples and oranges, but I, I think of people like Busta Rhymes where it's, 
the flow mm. can kind of like be a little stuttery and kind of a little off kilter. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's a unique, a unique sound. I know mystical, mystical at the time was someone who was oh, yep, also yep. kind of in that Busta Rhymes yelling type of thing. His song was that, wasn't it? The shake, shake yeah, guys. yeah. Watch yourself. Danger. Guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, but that's the thing. We're talking about people who like who we're talking about. We're comparing like people who wanted to make pop hooks to a guy who was just like, I don't give a fuck what you what you like about my music. I need to see it get it. Yeah. Out. So it's, it, <laughs> yeah. it was almost like people of the era, like Ja Rule, like were like the record company. It, just from out, complete outside point of view, but they were almost like, well, you got that voice that he has, but like we're gonna make you be like a little sweeter, and you're gonna sing with a shanti. Yeah. I mean, because that's the era that right, that like right. five year period at the after the death of not uh, Tupac and Biggie, and before like Jay Z's Black album, that five six seven years. That's straight, just like radio rap. That's like what was oh, what yeah. was in the culture. That's what was selling records. Were just like one off singles by radio rap stuff. Um, yeah, and then you have DMX drenched in blood, <laughs> yelling, at, yelling at, at God. <laughs> at, at the same time, though, like where the hood at? That chorus, yeah, amazing, oh, amazing. Ama- that's that's a goddamn chorus if I ever heard one. It's amazing. So you know what I mean. He had the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, just. Yeah, and the beat, the, childhood nostalgia yeah, for all of us, really. Yeah, just and the way he wrote beats, like, because a lot of his beats were made by guys who were young and were kind of like, if you took out DMX, they you'd be like, this is kind of a whack beat. But he just like would yell over it, and he would just twist it into being this very, uh, like almost like a demonic, angry thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you if you and also if you like DMX, I mean people who listen to DMX probably already know, but like Rough Riders was another right, like the you know, collective, kind of like the crew, yeah, the collective and stuff. So Rough Riders is also great, but uh, but yeah, so rest in yeah, peace, man. DMX, you scared us <laughs> and uh, opened our eyes, yeah, and opened our eyes very much, yeah. yeah. So rest in peace, That's DMX. Funny. On to the next topic, which is one that I think, Luke, you are very passionate about. Yeah. Um, we got, we some, we got talk... some music news. Oh, I forgot to give, I forgot <laughs> to give our, our three white guys talk about rap music before the DMX segment. Oh, come on. Uh, I like, we have, we to, have to get our, our, uh... ready. We yeah. yeah. We have to get some well, here's three white guys talking about really yes. white music. <laughs> Carry on to the next topic. You guys, ready? Um, Are you ready for me to walk in my lane? Here we go. All right, let's go. Uh, angry young, into this, angry a young man. man. Jeff <laughs> a man named Jeff <laughs> A man named Jeff Slate uh, wrote an article about Mr. Paul Simon, and I'll just read the headline, and then, Luke, the floor is yours. Paul Simon sold his catalog to Sony for millions, He'll still end up a historical footnote to Dylan. <laughs> All right. So I saw this. Actually, how I saw this article is I follow John Mayer's brother <laughs> on Instagram. Jim Mayer. <laughs> Listen, uh, only because John Mayer's brother on Instagram used to host an awesome. I don't know if he still does, but he used to host an awesome game show where he'd like uh, mail people dollars or give people uh, Venmo money for answering trivia questions it was a lot of fun i used to watch it all the time so anyway <laughs> he posted he posted the article and i clicked it 
And um, as we know, like um, big artists are selling their catalogs off for millions of dollars. Uh, Stevie Nicks just did. Obviously, Bob Dylan just did. Um, uh, Neil Young also just uh, sold his catalog. So um, Paul Simon seems to have like cashed in as well on the trend. Um, he's really old. So, I mean, why not get all the money now? You're not really going to, you know. But anyway, so all his contemporary peers are doing this move. So, and when I read this article, it really seemed more like, and I've read all the other articles. I read the one for Stevie Nicks. I have read the one for ones for Bob Dylan. And they were all kind of like, you know, flat, flattering, saying like, what a smart move this yeah. is and how the music industry is changing. Um, into catalog sales like this, but um, so this was really just like a really nasty hit piece on Paul Simon for no reason other than I could think the clickbait mm -hmm. headline. Um, but even like to like I was looking on like the um, you know, some people were critical on the the author's Instagram, and uh, he was like, oh, I didn't get to choose the headline. But further reading in the article, it was a lot more just kind of like slander that was just completely unnecessary. Um, yeah, Bob Dylan's really classic and sure, like some artists are remembered more than others, but calling Paul Simon a footnote to Bob Dylan is, uh, incredibly insulting. Cause I feel like of the American songwriters that are great, Paul Simon and Bob Dylan are like almost interchangeable. Um, sure. Paul's made, you know, not, you know, less albums than Bob, but at the same time, I don't really see how, you know, it could be held as like he's way lesser or of lesser importance to not even be remembered or footnote like i i don't know how you guys feel about that but for the guy that wrote bridge over troubled water that's horribly insulting what a piece of shit song you know it's not like aretha franklin hasn't sung saying that song you know it's, it's not like every high school <laughs> choir in the entire united states doesn't sing that fucking song that's that this is what i was you know and i i just was i read it and it really didn't make a lot of sense to me at all yeah so you said so, like the idea of bob dylan and paul simon being somewhat interchangeable I agree on certain points but uh disagree on others so how they would be interchangeable to me is that they both are the leading figures that came out of the folk scene of the 60s from the Greenwich Village, New York, et cetera, et cetera thing. But where things diverge is Bob Dylan's music is like loose and rough and tumble and raw and captured live in the studio. And Paul Simons is like very like expertly crafted, studio obsessive, like got to get the right exact drum sound and the right keyboard fills. And so it's just like a completely different way that they approach their art. So, and like, I mean, just even go to the, the singing voice, like Paul Simon has this beautiful pitch perfect voice. And Bob Dylan is like, this is my art. This is my music. Enjoy it or don't fuck off, whatever. I don't care. And, and right. So like, the leading figures from the same time period, but that's like, it's like comparing Elton John and Billy Joel. Yes. In a lot of ways, but also very different in a lot of ways. So it's right. just like, and in a general sense to compare the two guys is like, who gives a fuck? They're two of the biggest, best-selling, most known artists of all time. So they'll always be compared. Cause that's like comparing the heads on Mount Rushmore. It's like, well, yeah, obviously like it doesn't take much of an effort to make the comparison between the two, but 
I don't know, man. It's, it is kind of insulting because Paul Simon has to get his credit and I will stand for Paul Simon any day. And if you look at streaming numbers, if you look at sales numbers, Paul Simon is as big or a bigger and more listened to artist than Bob Dylan in this, at this point in time, because Paul Simon's not just Paul Simon's solo catalog. It's also the four five, six years in Simon and Garfunkel and you know, Bob Dylan has a lot of great stuff. I would never take anything away from Bob Dylan, but you gotta give some credit to Paul Simon. Yeah, yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. When when I was making the comparison, I was om- literally almost making it, ex- it pointedly in a right. literary yeah. sense too, because like that's the only way I would ever compare them is the way they write right. lyrics. Paul, they're very like mm-hmm. that kind of way, but completely different yeah. artists, like you said. What were you uh, gonna say, Mike? Well, no, and it's just towards the end of the article, too. You know, he throws in Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and Bruce Springsteen and kind of says that the four, and and Paul Simon, and says the four of them will all be footnotes at best to Dylan and the Beatles. And it's like, what, you know, I I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I guess. But but but... what's interesting to me is that, like, you know, we, all right, we do these five faves and we do these lists and stuff like this on our podcast, but it's all in good fun and it's more so rankings of, what we consider to be our favorite. And I think that it's unfair in a way to kind of, you know, like these top 100 greatest guitar players of all time, you know, it's all the, everybody wants to put, everyone wants to create these lists to say, Oh no, Jimi Hendrix is a better guitar player than Eric Clapton, or you know what I'm trying to say? Or this songwriter is better than that songwriter or whatever. But it's like, you got to understand that modern rock and roll as we know it, it didn't just come from one single influence. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's this coming together of all these influences. You know what I mean? And okay. Granted certain artists are influenced more heavily by certain bands. Of course, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, it's still like, I think it's just unfair. I don't know. I just I think, think it's, just it's, stupid. it's unfair to say that. Cause I think they all brought their own yeah. unique perspective to the art form, whether it be rock and roll or folk or the blending of the two. But I agree with you in the way, Luke, that it just kind of sounds like this is just an opinion piece by a guy who's just like, yeah, fuck Paul Simon. Well, yeah, you know, even to, to that, like, even like to, to like the opinion of it, it was like Bob Dylan has had a wonderful renaissance, like in his later years, you know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. But did you listen to the last three Paul Simon records? They were excellently produced. They were made with modern techniques and modern studio sounds. So for working with modern producers, modern sounds, modern equipment, everything. So he's basically working in the medium that uh, young artists are working on today on the cutting edge. So like on his past three records, he's really stayed with the current trend of not, of music and made solidly great albums. So Beautiful, So What was a great record, highly reviewed. Paul Simon's uh, Stranger to Stranger um was really really good he worked with the the i think he's a french producer clap clap um on that record and then his last one where he took his old songs right and um re redid them in a uh, more modern take that he felt was more appropriate for them after all these years i think uh to say that he doesn't even have a renaissance either is just really lazy like um i mean i am a fan of like going back and reading like your cream magazines your rolling stones from back in the day and it the writing on music and and rock and you know the pop idiom i feel was just like 
much more nuanced as you know we see with the news now anyway it's almost happening in everything but there's like it's very clickbaity when it could be very interesting to you know build up these people and you know write great contextual articles about what the song you know about who they are what the songs are about and to say that he's going to be a footnote is also really an opinion because you could have added context where you felt like where he wouldn't have been or you know what I mean if you added context then that leads to him not being a footnote then you're part of the problem in that scenario in the long run so that's really how I felt it was kind of redundant at the same time yeah it's just it's it's kind of just stupid arguments to say that people like Paul Simon or Joni Mitchell or Bruce Springsteen who are very much storyteller lyricists and songwriters would be so deeply indebted to Bob Dylan because that's just like Name any artist in any medium who doesn't have very clear influences. Like, I can't mm-hmm. think of a single musician who you'd be like, yeah, they just like dropped out of Mars and like nothing that they're playing resembles anything that came before. That's like saying like, oh, sorry, Mark Twain and James Joyce and Nobokov and sorry, Charles Dickens wrote, wrote novels before you and you write similar to him. So like you guys are just hacks. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and it, that's, you know, completely living in the world, too, where Joni Mitchell isn't getting more popular by literally yeah. the day. Like, I can't think of an artist I've seen have a bigger renaissance by making no albums at all. I mean, she's completely yeah. up and, you know, with the Stevie Nicks now. So I think this is, I mean, this article seems to be written. Unfortunately, I think Paul Simon got, had to take a lot of heat in this article when I think this guy was really just angry at the point of artists who we all love and adore are selling their catalog to big companies. So I think mm-hmm. he was just lashing out and mad about it, even though he was praising Bob Dylan's choice to do the same. It's just like, I don't right. know. It was, I didn't understand it. You know, I don't wish any Instagram hate or Twitter hate on anybody, but you know, it's no, you know, we're just, you know, yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's just, uh, and, and I think like uh, if you look back to a, a thing that Paul Simon has had to deal with his whole career that Bob really like didn't have to deal with as much. I don't think was like how you know criticized he was because like every, you know what I mean. Bob made some albums people didn't like, so at that point it was like yeah whatever. Well, if it's any consolation, so. Paul Simon, I listened to about one or two of your albums a week, and I listened to Bob Dylan once every three years. So, <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm on a uh, steady diet of both. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, there you have it. There's our uh, our our music news slash opinion uh, piece of the breaking news. Breaking news. The Jeff Slate article from NBC of all places too, which I thought was kind of interesting to find out. But you know, giving Jeff a bad name. You know, uh, that's what that's what happens when you star in SNL too many times. <laughs> <laughs> well anyway all right well we'll 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 take a quick break uh and then when we come back we will uh just talk about some of the stuff that we've been listening to some of our get in the garage musical um recommendations uh, recommendations yes thank you luke so uh we will be right back stick around let me ask you guys something whatever happened to predictability There must be some magic clues inside these gentle walls. Sometimes you get a feeling like you need some kind of change. I don't get any of those references, but 
Each week on Talking Sit, Silas P. and a guest do a deep dive and raise up the sitcoms that raised us. Did Mr. Belvedere really sit on his balls? Why do people call him Uncle Joey when he wasn't related to the Tanners? And does anyone else remember Head of the Class? Find out each week on Talking Sit with Silas P. And welcome back to Get in the Garage. We hope you enjoyed our ads now that we have ads. They're a lot of fun. My anchor <laughs> ad, I tried to like make it not awkward. I can't tell you how many times I recorded it. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back. We are, uh, we're going to start just uh, doing some album recommendations slash what we've been listening to lately. Luke, why don't you kick us off? <laughs> All right. Um, you said you were listening to some uh, house music on your way home from work, Michael. Um, and you might enjoy this record. Um, I picked it up at Mystic Disc in Mystic, Connecticut. Uh, uh, this is Jay Dilla's Donuts. Um, so I really wasn't like into that kind of music maybe even like two years ago, a year ago. But um, I started watching that program Crate Diggers on YouTube because mm-hmm. I'm a big vinyl fan. And I really got into all these hip-hop producers and I really fell for Jay Dilla and his story. Um, this album, I would say, is his magnum opus or like at least, you know, it is a great testament of what he did. Um, they're pretty short songs. They're all instrumental hip hop beats. They were made in the hospital right before he passed away. Um, and I just really love this record. It plays, it's like jazz hip hop for me. Um, it's got a lot of great textures and I'm always finding new things in it. Um, there's some songs in here, like, uh, the songs in here are made up of songs that I love. Um, like the clapper is, um, mountain, um, from the road goes ever on the lone red uh, drum sample and it's like a total like because that's been used a bunch in hip-hop but it's like a master take of it where he's sampling leslie west's voice on it and i just really love this album it's super relaxing super chill um and it's just so well done and it's just like for me it's just such a great mosaic album of great hip-hop beats it's like kind of blue for hip-hop I don't know. That's how I've been, like, really taking it in. Um, so, yeah, Jay Dilla Donuts. I'm sure Jeff has definitely listened to this record before. Yeah, man. It's a great record. It's, like, what is it, like, 20, 26 songs? Yeah, it's really long. But I, at but that, all I mean... 30 seconds to a minute and a half, really. Right, right. Um, and they they all... Bl- oh, and the great thing about this record, too, that's really cool, is um, it, if you listen to it, like, on a loop, it completely loops yeah. over and over and over again in a perfect loop. So that is one of the things I also love about it. Yeah, I listened to this album a lot in college because Jay Dilla died in 2006, and I started college in 2006. And um, I listened to three albums at that time that were heavy on sampling pretty much the entire albums were made up of sampling one was introducing by dj shadow from 1996 one was jay dilla donuts and the third was uh feed the animals by an artist named girl talk uh so check all three of those out they're very different but all worth checking out jay dilla donuts especially when he died in 2006 i heard a lot of jazz groups a lot of jazz trios and big bands do homages to donuts and cover different tracks and um yeah just uh you know he that's just like dmx but in a different way because jay dilla was very prolific up till his death like you said this whole album was constructed while he was in a hospital bed and 
it was put out, I think a week before he died. And Mm -hmm. he was someone that like is constantly quoted as one of the best hip hop producers of all time. And he only had a 10, 12 year career. And, uh, yeah, great, great album. Out of all the Jay Dilla albums and projects that he was involved with, Donuts is the one I listen to the most. Yeah, I, I, that's it's just so amazing. It's got so many great things in there that, like, even if you're not so hot on one at first, mm-hmm. it changes so fast that you're like, oh, what, what was that? And it's kind of, and you, if you liked it too, you're like, oh, this is dope. And then before you know it, it's gone, and you're thinking about it, and you're like, wait, what was that? And you want to go back and hear how they did it again. And I'm like wondering what all the samples are. It's just a treasure trove for a music fan. Even if you're not like a hip hop head, like I would even start here with someone that didn't like hip hop because it's instrumental and it's made up of all your favorite music already. So um, it's just amazing. So definitely check that out. And Michael, maybe take that on your ride home. It's really chill. Yeah, I'll have to give it a listen. Yeah. You recommended it to me like uh, I think like a week and a half, two weeks ago because there's that they incorporated that intro from uh, the mountain song. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Uh, Son of the Clapper is the name of that tune, if you want to check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll have to give that a listen. So. listen. Jeff? Uh, so, my first pick, it should be a, it should be a, a regular segment called Which Steely Dan Project Has Jeff Been Listening To? <laughs> um, so, so, this week, uh, the answer is always all of them, but this week I've been r- rocking a, a heavy amount of uh donald fagan's first solo album called the night fly which was recorded a year or two after steely dan kind of called it a hiatus in 1980 and the night fly came out in 82 or 83 and it was produced by the same producer that produced all the previous steely dan stuff gary katz who's one of the most underrated producers of all time because all the steely dan records sound impeccable and the mixing and quality of performances is second to none um, the Nightfly is cool because it's a Donald Fagan, the lead singer and keyboard player's solo album, but you, it's basically a Steely Dan album. Uh, Walter Becker, the other partner in Steely Dan, wasn't a part of this project, but you can't really tell because the songs are similar level of musicianship and you know crazy tons of tricks and all their arrangements and little nuances. And they had a lot. He has a lot of the same players. We play on Steel Dan stuff, including Jeff Percaro on drums, who's the drummer for the band Toto, one of the best studio drummers of all time. He played on some tracks on Michael Jackson's Thriller album. Um, yeah, Rockin' album. And Larry Carlton on lead guitar on a couple tracks. Uh, many other people look up the liar notes. It's a who's who of the pop, jazz, rock fusion world of the late 70s, and early 80s that uh, I've just come, I've come to kind of like just sit in that world for the past year. I think as the world's been kind of burning down and I've been losing my mind, I've I've found solace in these like weird late seventies hipster anthems while I like snap and I listen to like fucking sax solos and shit. Um, So I just love it. And uh, especially the first track was a big hit single. It's called I G Y. And, but yeah, so check out, if you're a Steely Dan fan, I'm I'm now speaking to the 65-year-old New York City residents who listen to our podcast. But if you're a fellow Steely Dan fan, uh, check out the Night Fly, the first Donald Fagan solo album. It was a, uh, it's a great record. Right on. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, my pick is 
kind of going off kind of in a different direction. But um, so I kind of stumbled. It was like a recommended album by the the Spotify algorithm. Mm. Um, the holy it, algorithm. The holy it provides algorithm. constantly. <laughs> it does provide. And in this sense, it definitely did. It's a band called I hope I pronounce, I'm pronouncing this right. It's called uh, Asagai. A-S-S-A-G-A-I. Now, if you look on Spotify, it'll tell you that the album was released in 2014. This is actually false. Mm. And I listened to it thinking that this this album was released in 2014. And I was thinking, man, this is so cool. It's so different. Like, it's a shame this band didn't make more albums. It seemed I, I thought it was maybe just kind of like a group of musicians came together, recorded this album in 2014. It was like a project, and then nothing else happened. Um, but upon further um, research, um, they—it's really interesting because they—I've I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think was there was there, there's these two compilations that are called the African Scream Contest mm-hmm. that were these comps that are sort of that were sort of similar to like the Easy Rider records, like the Brown Acid trips, where they find kind of these these one hit wonders or like you know quick little blurt bands from like the states or like the uk uh of like these psychedelic sort of acid rock bands and stuff um so it's it's more in 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 that kind of a vibe i guess so long story short this band was the first only african like only like black band that was signed to vertigo records which i thought was pretty interesting um they had a short run. They only released two albums. Both of them came out in 1971. The first album was self-titled. The second album was entitled Zimbabwe. Uh, they were part of the Afro rock scene uh, that was active in the early 1970s in London. Um, the other band that would be comparable to them would be a band called uh, Osibisa, which Luke you have one of their albums. I don't even think you know. Remember how you like we they we found an album that had like that Roger Dean cover. But it, oh, the green, the green slade record. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. right. There's another one. Got like an elephant. Yeah. So yeah, Asabisa was one of the bands that actually had Robert. Uh, I'm sorry, Roger Dean do uh, the cover art for, which. Again, looking back into it, it's like I had seen these album covers and stuff. I just never knew. And Roger Dean would go on to do the album art for uh, their second album, Zimbabwe. Um, but yeah, just a, just a really interesting band. Uh, they had some collaborations with a guy named Alan Gowen, who was part of like the Canterbury scene, which was like a psychedelic rock sort of scene that was in Canterbury in the UK. And then for a hot minute, they had Jamie Muir. Uh, from King Crimson mm. as their percussionist, which was also kind of like a mind blower for me because I was like, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. But um, but yeah, just a really cool band. Uh, the track listing is cool. Like, they open up with a song called Telephone Girl. That's the only song on the album, I believe, where they feature um, lyrics in English. Everything else. Um, I'm not sure what, what language exactly it's in. Um but I think it's some sort of South, uh, South African uh, language. Um, they do a really cool cover of Hey Jude mm. that feels kind of like, like, kind of like, uh, like rock steady ska ish. 
Um, so it's just a really, really interesting album. Uh, a lot of the, those sorts of influence, kind of like these Caribbean influences, kind of like this Afro-Cuban beat kind of thing going on, sort of like Latin kind of influence was with like a lot of like the Latin percussions, like the congas and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was just, it was just a really, really fun listen. Like, uh, and I, and I highly recommend it. And then if you're into that, definitely check out, uh, Osibisa because that's another band who was also along those lines. Uh, but they were made up of, they had four, uh, they had a, yeah, four African, um, musicians but then also incorporated caribbean musicians so they have more of a world music kind of vibe where i found Asagai was was a little bit more true to kind of like uh the afro rock um more influences from like south africa and like nigeria and stuff but still cool because they still kind of have it's still 1970s you know so there's still a lot of that like sort of psych rock kind of hard hitting cool guitar solos and stuff at times it sounds like Santana at t- other times it sounds kind of like I said like the early like rock steady ska stuff so highly recommend it it's a lot of fun uh you can find both of those bands albums right I'm pr- I mean I know they're on Spotify but I mean I would assume that they're on all other uh, streaming services as well so um yeah definitely check those out because uh they were killer I was so like uh, it was just it just put a smile on my face because I'm like this is dope and the end like the cool version of hey jude too because i didn't i downloaded it and i didn't really you know i didn't look at the track names and then all of a sudden hey jude came on and i didn't know it was hey jude and then it starts going and i was like wait a minute this sounds like hey jude and then i look i'm like holy shit it's hey jude like and it was just it was a really cool version of it so you know definitely check it out it's a cool band dude the almighty algorithm because that's where i find all my world music stuff is constantly in my discover weekly or something like that it's constantly giving me artists same thing where i'm like this came out in 2015 and then you look it up it's like that's probably when it was available for streaming but it's from the late 70s right. or something yeah right right hmm. very cool i actually was looking up that band while you were talking in their first album the backing band on that is another vertigo band called jade warrior i don't know if you ever listened to them but they're also very yep. good yep, yep. so i thought that was pretty interesting right on yep. man I'll definitely yeah. check that out. Yeah, very cool. Um, so my next pick also is uh, by the Almighty Algorithm. I was about to go to bed and I wanted to listen to something, and I just it came up and I was just clicked it, and it was just completely mind blowing. Um, again, from another producer who's highly pro- uh, prolific. Uh, this is Mad Libs uh, Alter Ego Quasimodo, and uh, the album is uh, Yes Sir Whatever. <clears throat> um, I had no idea what this album was going to sound like. I had no idea what, what it was. I didn't know this was Mad Lib at all. I no, really don't know a lot about hip-hop, but I loved this record um, when I put it on. It was, um, again, super chill, super feel-good. Um, wasn't really abrasive to hear. Um, I loved the songs. And again, um, something I wasn't expecting, the production on this is shorter songs, about a minute 30, a minute 15 on most. Um, and... What's really cool is um, Mad Lib took his vocals and like sped them up so he has a higher pitched voice on all of these songs. Um, so it adds like a almost experimental psychedelic hip hop um, flavor that I really hadn't experienced before and was like really really enjoying uh, on this record. And uh, again, this is probably a record I think that Jeff has probably listened to. Um, nope. But uh, no, no, I, I've listened oh, to a bunch of Mad Lib, I, but I have not listened to that one. 
Oh, see, like I don't really know a lot about it, and then I realized that he was um, oh man, uh, MF Doom's uh, yeah, producer. A couple things, and I was, yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, and uh, you know, so I started to kind of research that and learn about that, and I had no idea, but this album just came up in the algorithm, and I really enjoyed how like the songs were shorter. A lot of them didn't have choruses. Um, incredibly sample heavy, mm. um, and. I, I just really loved how it flowed in that kind of like, you know, what you were, what, just when you were really starting to dig it, it was over. And then it gave you something that you never expected and that you maybe liked even more. Um, yeah, I just love how it flowed. And it wasn't like a super long listen. And it was really relaxing. And uh, I'd also really throw in there with my first pick. It goes matches very well with uh, Jay Dilla's Donuts, if you're into those uh, vibes. Mm. Great matching records. And it was a great vibe to listen to all week. So, um, yeah, Quasimodo, uh, Yes Sir, whatever. If you look up Mad Lib on Spotify, um, the album definitely comes up under Mad Lib's name. So I'd probably just do that because the way he spells Quasimodo is a bit uh, obscure. So, yeah, <laughs> it, this is uh, forever into uh, this is my, like, my voyage into like uh, the hip hop rap uh, yeah. world that I'm constantly digging in. And uh, this is something that just really popped up and it was really great. And uh, the algorithm did me right. So. Yeah, crate nice. crate diggers too, man. You're talking about some producers who like they listen to everything. They sampled and yeah, and I you know, and it was great to watch like interviews with Mad Lib and talk about all the music that he loves because it's a lot of the music that I mm. love, like Sun Ra and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I just found it really fascinating in a great way, like to uh, like I make different music than he does, and it's great to uh, connect musical minds like that and just really like be able to be appreciate where he's coming from. And I'm like, yeah. I, I dig this a ton. So, um, yeah, that was, that's my pick. Bird. Yeah, I got to check that one out. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I, I think yeah. you guys would really love that album. Right on. So my next one is, uh, I think it's from 2019, maybe. It's an album that's Afro-Cuban jazz music made by two artists, Pedrito Martinez and Alfredo Rodriguez. Um, Alfredo Rodriguez is a pianist and singer from Cuba. Pedrito Martinez is a percussionist and singer from Cuba. They both make music on their own with their own collectives. That is incredible. And on this album, it's the two of them teaming up. And as far as I know, it's just the two of them playing through this album. It was produced by Quincy Jones. It's called Duologue. And uh, it's just it's just great, man. Alfredo Rodriguez is like has the most nimble fingers of any pianist I've seen. Uh, I should say second to Domi, who is a jazz. She's a nasty like jazz fusion hip hop piano player. But um, so Alfredo Rodriguez just really technically skilled. And he the some backstory. Alfredo Rodriguez was raised with in a family with money who like sent him to a music conservatory and he learned classical techniques and the rigors of that kind of system. And then he decided he wanted to play jazz as he got deeper into those studies. Pedrito Martinez grew up as I think in the same, I think they both were from Havana. I, I believe I don't quote me, but Pedrito Martinez, the percussion player grew up the complete opposite background. He grew up playing like you know like the what do you call it? the plastic bucket drums and stuff like that at street fairs and 
parties and festivals. And he rose up through the ranks of just getting the experience on the street and playing party after party, show after show after show. So very different backgrounds, but both extremely technically proficient, um, extremely expressive musicians who can play pretty much anything. Great Instagram follows both of them, especially Alfredo Rodriguez. He posts a lot of little clips and he's just, he's crazy. Um, they both have their own tiny desk concerts, which are worth checking out. Uh, Pedrito Martinez, the way he plays drums, he plays like seven different percussion drums that he like sits on or around while he sings. And he has an incredible voice. Like one of those voices where you just hear and you're like, man, this guy could have lived anywhere in the world. And like this voice, like this purity and this sound and this passion just like would never be harnessed. Like it's always going to be out there and people will always enjoy listening to him. So it's just a great pairing of these two guys. I've, I've liked their music separately for the past year or two since I saw their tiny desk concerts on the NPR YouTube channel. Um, but this duologue album is uh, it's a highlight and anything you look up that has both of them um, is worthwhile because while they're promoting duologue, uh, they did a lot of, you know, stop-ins at radio stations, stuff like that, and did some live recording. And you just got to really watch the live recordings to see what they actually do because you would be very surprised that it's only two guys playing the whole time. Um, so, yeah, Duologue by Alfredo Rodriguez and Pedrito Martinez. Nice. Um, my second pick is uh, an album that I was actually listening to more recently. Jeff is not familiar with this album because I was listening to it the other day. Um, I've... It was, I think, it, one of the songs off of this album, or maybe it was, it was a different album, uh, of the same artist, was one of my top most streamed for last year on Spotify. The album released in 1972 by the man himself, Bhagwan Das. Um, the album name is called Ah, and um, it's, it's a really cool album. It's the first album Bhagwan Das released after he came back from India. Uh, we've talked about Ram Das before on the podcast. He's part of that whole satsang, that whole spiritual brotherhood, like the Das brothers sometimes they're referred to. Krishna Das being another notable, probably more famous singer of like Indian devotional music. Uh, but Bhagwan Das, this album is so much fun. It's, uh, you know, I- I've mentioned before that I-, I love devotional music. I love the singing of Kirtan. Like, um, and this this album definitely doesn't upset. Uh, Bhagwan Das is referred to as the Jimi Hendrix of the Kirtan <laughs> Masters, which I don't know how necessarily true that is. However, his this album was recorded in part at Electric Lady Studios Ooh. at the same time. And in one studio and in the studio next door was Led Zeppelin recording. Mm. I think Led Zeppelin 4, which I think was recorded at uh, or in part at Electric Ladyland studios but um but yeah it's it is it's it's a lot of fun like it's it's cool because like you can tell a lot of it is sort of like this off the cuff kind of like improvised stuff where he's just kind of like some of it it's like i don't i mean no disrespect but some of it seems like a little bit nonsensey where he's like he's like doing this kind of stuff but he's doing a rob schneider from 50 first dates impression (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. before yeah he's he's rob schneider 51st days before that movie so um but no it's it's cool and he had a lot of people collaborate for this album like he there's uh there's if if because i have it on vinyl you know it's like a double lp 
And on the inside, it comes with this cool booklet that's got this huge picture of Neem Karoli Baba, also known as Maharaji. Uh, there's a there's an inter there's there's a chai recipe that is written in form of an interview by Ram Das interviewing Bhagwan Das as to how to make this chai and like how much of it to make and like how he crushes up like the cardamom seeds and the cinnamon and he's like oh yeah you put them in your mouth and you chew on them and then you spit them in the pot of boiling water and stuff and he's like I do that when no one's looking so nobody can see that like I'm chewing up these seeds and spitting it into something they're about to drink kind of thing it's it's far out it's 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 very interesting that's but, my favorite um, part of that record is that like the liner notes are a meditation on chai tea yeah right yeah and there's like a little excerpt in it from like alan ginsberg and um and like a little forward by ram das in the beginning and there's a lot of really cool photographs that are featured in the insert and stuff and um i find that it's uh it's 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 a, it's a good album to kind of meditate to you know because it's not if you listen to there's another album called now that incorporates a lot more like sampling and electric instruments and stuff like that where this one seems to be pretty pure in its approach to like the Indian devotional musical genre in that way, where it's a lot of just like him by himself or with like an accompanying acoustic, like a classical Indian instrument, whether it's sitar or uh, I can't remember the name of the other one, but it's the stand up one. That's just more of a drone instrument. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I just, I really like it. Like I said before, like I love devotional music and it kind of set the tone for me for the past week of kind of delving into and some other kinds of devotional music, which will be like, I'll get to it when we get to the next round of being my third pick. But this, I find this album, if you are into devotional music, that it, it really like, it can put you in like a really, really nice sort of meditative space. Uh, and there's also a, uh, an interview from 2002 that was released with the CD release of this album in 2002, where it's an interview with Bhagwan Das, where he talks about the making of it. I believe you can find it on YouTube, but um, also something worth checking out. But, you know, it's pretty cool because he would go on to make so many other albums. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so definitely check it out if you're into uh, devotional music, because it's of, of all the albums I find, it's probably the most the most pure, the most bare bones one oh. of his discography. So Bhagwan Das with the album Ah. 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 So. Ah. Uh, so. Uh, so yeah. Check right it out. on. All right. Well, uh, my third and last pick here is a band from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. They're named Leggy. Um, I got this record at Willamanic Records in Willamanic, Connecticut. It was awesome that they had it. Um, Leggy must have played a show there. They definitely did. It's on YouTube. Um, and I missed that show, so I'm very disappointed. But um, I knew about this band because they toured with another band I like called Daddy Issues. Um, I'd never really – I listened to a couple of their songs on streaming, um, and I really liked it, but it kind of fell away. And I bought this record and really fell in love with it. The album is Leggy, Let Me Know Your Moon. Um, female fronted, uh, female bass player, um, and a dude playing drums. Um, so this band is like grungy, like it's kind of got that great, like throwback, um, grunge, uh, feel to it, but, um, more in like a pop punky kind of sense. Um, great, like great choruses built in there. Um, I really, really fell in love with this record. It, I love like, um, 
the lyrical uh, aspect of it. Like, there's a song in here called Prom, where, like, the hook is uh, when you hung up the phone and it felt like a prom uh, queen without a ride home. Um, just that kind of, you know, stuff, like, um, more youthful expression um, made in, like, a more modern adult problem sense. Um, I really like that. My favorite song in here is um, called Eden. I really, really like that song. Um, the chorus in that one is like this, the girl is saying, um, you know, I think I'm really into you and I read your horoscope already and I think we're perfect and, um, you're a middle child, like kind of like doing all like the horoscopey thing around like, well, I read your horoscope, so I think you're perfect for me and now you're going to be with me and, um, that kind of thing. And I really liked, um, that kind of like lyrical aspect of it. Um, also like the guitar tones and bass fuzz on here was just awesome to hear super fuzzy and grungy throwback. Um, if I had to compare the band, I'd say like bully is uh, a good band to compare them with. Also that band I mentioned daddy issues, uh, both those bands sound different to this band. This one's more of like, um, more sludgy than the other two. Um, which I also enjoyed bringing an aspect of like more like slowing it up in there. Um, but definitely a band to check out. Um, and I think they're going to be coming out with a new album this year that this record, uh, let me know your moon is from 2019. Um, but highly recommended. And they got like a great style. Like the cover on the record is like, so like striking and they're coming down escalator stairs. And I just really love the whole thing. Um, so definitely check it out. It's a great vibe record. And, um, I'd say no skipper for me as well. So great listen. Nice. Nice. Cool. I've never listened no, to that, so I'll have to check I mean, it out. I, know, I do like daddy issues. Yeah, I figured, like, you know, it's not something um, that a lot of people probably have listened to, but um, it's a great throw out, and I think they're, like, a band that's really um, on the up and come, so I'd like to, you know, see them make more records. So definitely check them out. Cool. Cool, cool. My last nice. choice Jeffrey? is a sentimental choice I've been getting into most recently in the past couple of months, but especially this past week, I listened to it a handful of times. It is a classical recording. It is a recording of Gustav Holt's work called The Planets, which is a classical piece from the 1910s. And uh, specifically, I'm listening to the version that is by the Orchestra Symphonique de Montreal from, uh, I think, like 1987-88. And uh, this was an album that was in my parents' CD collection my entire life. My parents are both classical music people and music teachers and all that good stuff. So that's what filled a lot of their CD collection were classical things and Broadway things and jazz type things. And I remember always seeing this album and my dad put it on every now and then. Uh, so the Holtz, the planets is basically like if you've listened to the soundtrack of John Williams films, such as star Wars and others like that, they all just steal directly from Gustav Holtz, the planets. Um, and the planets is highly influenced by the works of Wagner and other operatic things. They're very uh, melodic and striking and memorable pieces. It's a seven movement work and each mu each movement is named after a planet. So you have in order, it's Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And they all have their own character 
and they're all very unique and memorable and none of the movements are that long i I, i'm pretty sure all seven movements are like seven minutes or less each and uh yeah it's just like if you put on this record you'd be like oh i i've heard 50 movie soundtracks by like hans zimmer and john williams that just ripped this shit off um and it's great it's a very high fidelity recording for the late 80s when they went to digital recording and it wasn't as far as I know is recorded digitally and not on a tape to tape reel. And, uh, it's out of all the recordings of this work. I enjoy it the most because the sentimental value of it's a recording I listened to my during, uh, growing up, but also I just think it still retains a good quality because it's a very balanced recording. Um, unfortunately because it is late eighties and it was recorded live in a big hall it's like the pianissimos are super quiet, super, 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 super quiet. And then the fortissimos are like blast your eardrums off. But that's kind of like the point of orchest- orchestral music is this uh, wide range in, uh, you know, what do you call that, Mike? Texture. Tex- texture. Well, to and, say blandly. Uh, what's that called? When <laughs> what, what are those called? Markings. What are those called? Yeah. Dynamics. Uh, there we go. Dynamics. Dynamic markings. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. It's, been, it's been a long Kevin day, guys. Kinsley. This is what happens when we podcast at night. You're asking me? I, I mispronounced the Andante. <laughs> oh, you're asking me about how to talk about dynamics? Um, but yes, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> there ain't no dynamics in rock and roll, man. Um, no, so yeah, man. this this recording is just great. It's, it's really, uh, it's what I've been putting on to fall asleep to because a couple of the movements are pretty in your face and especially Mars, the opener is, it starts with this like, it's just constant. Um, but then the later movements, I just, I zonk out after like 10 minutes of listening to the later movements. Um, so it's great. Uh, it's great mind music. I would say it makes you think and it, it's very easily recognizable and very easy to process. It's not the right of spring. It's not the fire firebird suite. It's not, you know, some crazy thing. It's uh, so it's great. Gustav Holtz, the planets by the uh, Montreal Symphonic Orchestra. I know why Michael loves this record. Yeah, you do, baby, because the use what's called the tritone that is in yeah. in uh, Mars, the movement Mars was the direct influence. For the Black Sabbath song, oh, nice. Black Sabbath. So, in some sort, in some you know heavy metal circles, mm. you will hear that really that Mars <laughs> is the first heavy metal song in a sense because it directly influenced the song Black mm. Sabbath to feature the tritone, the devil's which note. you know is like one of the most evil. <laughs> yeah, like the de- yeah, right, yeah. right. It's like the devil's interval or whatever. Dun, dun, dun. Like it's. It sounds creepy. Yeah. It gives you goosebumps to raise the hairs on the back here. It's badass, so. man. I mean, Mars is the so, one yeah. people know, but the later nice. movements are just as uh, mind-blowing and influential. And for something that was written in, like, I think 1915, 16, something like that, it, like, just, I think it blew people's fucking wigs off. Maybe literally back then. <laughs> literally, yeah, right. <laughs> Sun Ross said it best. Nice. Space oh, it is. is the place. <laughs> Nice, man. That's a great, yeah, that's yeah. a great choice. I'll have to revisit that, yeah. 
I saw Mike's uh, face Mike. like light up when you said it. Mike was like, yeah. I've listened to this. <laughs> so for my choice, it's probably going to be one that's going to make Jeff and Luke both puke. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But since I was on the trajectory of the uh, devotional music, uh, it, it, it was it was kind of playing into devotional music, but also playing into maybe certain hints of nostalgia for me. Um, it is... They're two, like, sister albums, if you want to call them that, um, featuring the man himself, the Hasidic <laughs> reggae yes. Jewish artist. Modest Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo, baby. Um, I know, I'm getting, the eye, I'm getting the eye rolls from Luke over here, but... Um, but yeah, I didn't I'm say really, anything. You didn't have to. <laughs> I still see you on Zoom. I can read your body language. Uh, <laughs> That's why we need to have videos, so that way people can see your reactions to the to the craziness that I say and the whatever. But anyway, so yeah, live at Stubbs and live at Stubbs Volume Two. Those two albums for me, they are very much playing into like nostalgia for me because you know my, it's time and place stuff, man. You know, and I find that his music, his I'll say this. His, his more current music, I'm not a huge fan of. Like, I tried to go back. He released an album, I think, like three or four years ago. I tried to give it a listen. Wasn't really a huge fan of it. Um, I don't necessarily think... This is a, an opinion, too. I'm not... This isn't a shit on him, but I just... I don't think it has that sort of... Um, I don't know what will you call it. That sort of... Uh, that kind of That kind of drive that he had back when he was still kind of like really into the like the Hasidic uh thing and um you know Live at Stubbs is great I my personally like Live at Stubbs volume two better I just think that like from front to back it's got a lot more like moodiness to it there's a lot more space you can hear there's a lot more experimentation Live at Stubbs recorded in 2005 volume two was recorded in 2010 so you can hear kind of a progression he released albums between then, but 2005 that was hot off the hot off the the, the tracks of like his breakout album Youth, uh, the big song King Without a Crown. But I just I I love this kind of like you know this yearning to God in that sense. Um, I you know it's it, this is probably no big surprise to anybody, but like I I have a deep reverence for different sort of religious and spiritual paths, and anybody who seemingly is doing them for like the right reasons which is to kind of like better themselves and everything and you know and 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 all that like i just get that vibe from modest yahoo you know may you know the 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 beatboxing isn't for everybody uh it is a little bit bizarre when you first see the live and here this guy comes out dressed like a hasid but then he's like doing like this reggae thing you know so you know again it's not for everybody it's not everybody's thing but um but yeah, Live at Stubbs, Live at Stubbs Volume 2. I just, I love those albums, man. I love them. They're, again, maybe it's because of the nostalgia. Maybe if I had never heard them before and listened to them now, I would have a different opinion about them. But for me, when I first listened to them, it was very much a time and place thing for me. And, uh, you know, and uh, and then I just think, I don't know, there's something about like the, like the, the Hasidic, the Jewish, the, the, the the roots of uh, Judaism that I it feels ancient it feels old it feels <laughs> it's very old it's got this, it is very old yeah 
<laughs> it is very old. But I think it translates in the in the music. You know what I mean? Like it's you can I don't know. There's just this this pull that he has towards it, uh, and. And also, it wasn't a gimmick. Like, he, he really was, like, practicing Hasidicism. He knew his Torah inside out. Like, he, he practiced. He observed the Sabbath. He, you know, he did all this stuff. So he, he walked the walk in that sense, you know. And, um, you know, and I respect him for it, man. I mean, he's since, you know, shaved the beard and, and everything. And you see him now. He doesn't look anything like what he used to look like. Um, but I would imagine you know, with a lot of people, especially his commercial success and everything like that, it kind of became a thing of kind of like, you know, he, it, 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 I think the, I think the idea of it being a gimmick was like forced on him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, even though it was pure where he was coming from, I think at the same time, he felt like he maybe needed to kind of like shake himself from that sort of identity in that way. So he's since, you know, shaved, shaved off the beard and everything, but as far as I know, he's still a practicing Jew, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know to what extent, you know, it is now. But uh, but yeah, Live at Stubbs, Volume One and Volume Two. Uh, you know, it's fun. It's it's reggae. It's you know, and it doesn't sound out of place to hear him talk about like these sort of Old Testament biblical references and through through the lens of reggae music because that's all stuff that has always been sung about in reggae you know bob marley obviously exodus all this kind of stuff so um so it doesn't sound out of place it's just again you know it's a hasidic jewish guy singing reggae you know and beatboxing so it's uh it's bizarre at first but i've i really grew to love modest yahoo and and enjoy his music so so there's my third and final recommendation the two modest yahoo live albums well done. So there we go. What was <laughs> anyway, don't forget to find us on Instagram. Get in the garage. You can find us on all, all podcast platforms and all social media platforms as well. Hopefully, we'll be fully vaccinated. I am, all three baby. of us, so we can actually start doing this in person again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jeffrey that's is right, fully man. vaccinated now. Right on, rock. So, uh, so, yeah. Two down, one Good to stuff, go. guys. All right, well, until next time, make sure to get in the garage. Yes. Also, Luke, can we get, can we get a train whistle to, to sign us off? Here? Oh, yes. Also, space <laughs> is the place, guys. Space, space is, is the place. place. <laughs> this has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.